So the user expectations are gradually going up, right? You know, like you just pointed out, either it is Amazon of the world, or, you know, now it is X, not a Twitter, I guess. So when uh, users like you and me, when we are using those services, when then we go to a power company and use their website, your expectations are the same. So we need to meet those and we, if not exceed. What is up everyone and thanks for tuning in. In today's episode of the Big Ideas in App Architecture podcast, we speak to Kishore Kuduri from Amarin, Senior Director of Enterprise Architecture and Shared Services. Kishore and I dive into his 17-year career at Monsanto and his current role at Amarin. We talk about what it takes to transform legacy applications and different decisions that have to be taken to drive a successful business outcome. Kishore also shares about why people, process and technology have to be central to all of this. So pump up that volume and get ready for an insightful conversation with Kishore Kadori. Why don't you, you know, kind of introduce to everybody who is listening to you for the first time, uh, you know, on what do you do right now at Amarin? What does Amarin do and what your role entails? Yeah, sure, David. And uh, so uh, Amarin is a fortune finder utility and uh, we serve about three and a half million give and take electricity and gas. Um, so basically, you know, we keep the lights on, right? So in many ways. Uh, so what I do is I lead enterprise shared services. I'm a senior director there. And uh, in my group, we have enterprise architecture. And I had a f- fantastic opportunity to re- revamp that particular practice. And then resiliency, as you know, yeah. it's a very critical for utilities. You don't want your gas or electricity down, right? So resilience right. is very critical. And then I, uh, I revamped uh, Agile Office. Uh, that is another practice in my group. And integration. So I do the, you know, my team does all the plumbing, all, you know, with various systems and applications on prem in the cloud uh, and various things like that. And recently, you know, I was asked to start looking into the testing practice. You know, as you know, it is very critical for the successful yeah. delivery. And uh, it is a lot of work. So I'm guessing you should have at least, uh, at least 400 to 500 people in your team that you're managing right now. No, I don't. We are very efficient. So, <laughs> uh, I, including everybody, I think we're around 170, 180 ballpark. That is where we are right now. Well, that's a lot of lot of people to work with too, right? And and we'll get into all of that. When we were speaking last time, you mentioned to me, and I wasn't aware of this, that Amarin is actually a Fortune 500, even though it just operates in uh, Michigan. And there's another... And we Illinois. operate in Missouri and Illinois. And... Uh, yeah, that's right. And it is surprising, right? You know, that's what I was telling the other day, right? You know, just operating in two states, it's still a fortune finder company because the number of customers we serve and, you know, it is both for distribution, transmission of both uh, gas and electricity. And we also have some generation, like, you know, we have some coal plants, which we are working on moving away, as well as we have nuclear, so quite a bit of uh, gas and uh, sun, solar and wind energy generation. Right. Well, th- this is awesome. This is great to know. How was the transition for you coming from uh, like, a, you know, Monsanto Bear to, you know, a utility company? And uh, of course, the practices that you have to lead or the way you have to build solutions or work with people, kind of you carry that experience. But in terms of domain itself, what surprised you the most coming into, you know, Amarin? Yeah. So, 
utility space is uh, new for me, right? We are all like you or anybody else. We are all using utilities, but we do not know to the most part how they operate other than you pay the bill kind of a thing, right? Uh, utilities in, in states at least is a regulated industry, meaning uh, a particular utility will have a territory where uh, you have rights to, you know, distribute uh, electricity or gas or whatnot. So with that, there is a lot of regulation comes in. So that is a, something new. That's a new domain for me, along with how energy works, uh, what kind of you know technical as well as innovation challenges we may have. Uh, some of the critical components, right? Like uh, I was talking about reliability, affordability, and uh, as well as there is a lot of emphasis on green energy now. So those are the things I'm slowly getting up to speed. Uh, it, it's t from technology side that different kind of challenges, but at the end of it, you know, keeping customers what they need and uh, giving them uh, a very reliable, affordable service is the bottom line. Got it. Oh, man, that's amazing. So you already spoke about some of the teams that you're leading. Of course, the testing practice is something that you're going to take over, but you were talking about the enterprise architect team. Mm -hmm. So um, maybe... Uh, Talk us, talk to us about each of these teams for somebody who's listening for the first time. Mm -hmm. What do these functions entail, and how do you keep the you know integrity of what the business objectives are, and drive that uh, with the teams that you work with? Sure. Uh, so basically, like I was saying, you know, there are multiple teams in my uh, organization, and uh, keeping all of these teams in sync is a task on its own. Right. We need to make sure there is the right level of collaboration is going. There is the right level of communication going. Um, so enterprise architecture, as you know, we have, uh, you know, en enterprise architects, solution architects, domain architects helping the en uh, enterprise to create roadmaps, create uh, technology strategies, as well as, you know, long term investment planning and so on. So that is what this team primarily focused on. Uh, we have solution architects which work uh, they work very closely with these initiatives right you know projects large projects they jump in right from the inception all the way you know going into live right you know production and stuff like right. that so they play a very critical part and uh, I, and again I, I can go on with the resiliency and agile office and so on but uh, going to the gist of your question right how do we keep all of these in sync right you know how do we motivate them and making sure that we are delivering business objectives. I think that is what we focus very much in. Um, first and foremost, my methodology is around, you, know, you probably heard about this, like uh, autonomy, mastery, and purpose. I think right. that is what I primarily use. That was introduced to me by one, one of my leaders in uh, previous world. So it, it resonates very well with me and uh, it, it making sure you provide some guardrails and tell them, hey, this is what success looks like. This is what good looks like. And uh, create right expectations and goals. And you know, then if don't get into the weeds of what they need to do, right? You know, right. how uh, uh, it was, starts with why, right? And yeah. uh, explain why we need to do certain thing and then explain them or how it needs to be done in a way that uh, you know it needs to be aligned. There is light level of collaboration, engagement, and so on, and then give them autonomy, and they make wonders. So I have seen it again and again. Uh, it, that particular thing works, and works on all cylinders. That's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, it's in what you kind of shared is also your leadership philosophy, which is I mean, great for you to kind of share. You know, I think autonomy to 
architects and developers is really interesting, especially in today's day and age where they want to be creative and they're looking at solving the problem, but at the same time, driving guardrails is important because the business objectives is also uh, something yeah. that you have to drive towards, right? So that's awesome. So uh, it's it's a great introduction to what you're doing right now. Uh, tell me about, let's say it back a little bit, maybe a decade or more or, uh, back and how was a young Kishore you know, excited to get into this field of engineering. Like, tell us a little bit about your beginning of uh, computer science and what led you to, you know, move into this direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so I'm still young. So I'm still young, Kishore, okay? Just point to yeah. be noted. Well, <laughs> young Kishore, young Kishore. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm talking about a, a 20-year-old Kishore right now. <laughs> uh, so uh, I, I, I won't bore you with all the different roles in different companies, but uh, I, I'll touch some of the highlights. Um, yeah. I had an opportunity to start on a, a startup in India. And uh, we were trying to do a, a Salesforce kind of a CRM solution. It is back in the day, and uh, it's very exciting, right? You know, uh, it's a uh, not a cloud solution, but it is a it's a web solution. Uh, we had a lot of good features, and you know, a lot of good customization around it. Um, and uh, we I learned quite a bit of it working at that startup, right? From how the venture capital uh, investment works and all nine yards of uh, software development and customization, sales. So that that was really exciting journey. And uh, But unfortunately, that startup did not survive. And that so ended up in uh, States. And like you were briefly mentioning, I started with uh, Monsanto. That's a biotech yeah. company. Uh, so I was there for about 17 years, did various roles. Um, I I also had an opportunity before I moved on to Ambran. I had opportunity to lead part of IT, and uh, I I you know I we co-led IT uh, transformation, which is we used to call it IT 2.0, right. uh, which is around moving from service-based organization to uh, a product-based organization, waterfall to agile, and then moving to the cloud. Uh, it, it is f- f- fantastic, you know, fascinating journey there. And also I had opportunity, you know, taking existing uh, applications, move, move them to mode one and mode two, and move right. mode one applications to managed service partners. Uh, so that was all a lot of learning. So it, it basically what excites me at the end of the day is uh, uh, problem solving, right? You know, that is what the key for any uh, IT guy is what kind of problems we solve and how effectively we solve with the different tools we have in our toolbox. Either it is technology tools, uh, like right from cloud to uh, region AI, right? You know, all new stuff coming in. Uh, We just don't want to use the tool for the, just for the sake of it, but how do we use it to solve a business problem and uh, make everybody's life more effective and efficient? Got it. Yeah. So, how is what's your perspective on all these different changes that have happened? Like, uh, especially, I know the cloud kind of burst into the scene and everybody kind of adopted to it, but not everybody could move to the cloud immediately because, I mean, there is data specifications on being mm-hmm. data centers and things like that. Um, did you first encounter, you know, moving to applications to the cloud at Monsanto? Uh, what was that first project like? And how did you like go about looking at something that's new? And saying uh-huh. well, it needs to be something that we need to be at. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a great question. So, even though um, it, it, there is a lot, lot of uh, uh, journey in the cloud, it is still 
not that old, right? Um, so I, I think the first exposure to cloud is where we have one particular application, which is a legacy application at Monsanto, uh, which brings a billion dollars of revenue. So it's a huge application uh, in in that terms, right? Yeah. And uh, it has thousands of users and it, it uh, brings a lot of profit to Monsanto, but it was not scaling to the use because we wanted we wanted to expand it to other countries. Like it, we started in uh, one country, we are adding more countries to it. So it's adding a lot more users to it. Right. So that is the situation. So uh, then we said, hey, you know, why don't we start looking into cloud? That is how we started that. Like anything else, we started with the proof of concept pilot and rolling out gradually. Um, like, you know, any monolith, which is so business critical, which brings a lot of uh, revenue to the company, a lot of eyes on it. Uh, we it, And and uh, we were looking for agility, reliability, availability, and cost effectiveness. Right. So those are some of the principles we were looking. Uh, obviously, cloud uh, checks all of those, right? You know, there is like agility because you don't have to wait for your um, uh, infrastructure department to set up servers, which may take its own sweet time. Uh, th it has a lot of resiliency because, you know, you can have multiple uh, uh, regions or multiple uh, ways of doing it. Um, no, I'm not suggesting all applications need multi-region, but you have different ways of uh, uh, resiliency. And availability, again, you can scale up much easier uh, horizontally or vertically. And then now uh, cost effective, uh, uh, for sure it is cost effective in short term. And there are some questions about long term. That is a, a conversation for another day, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that is the journey we started with. And we uh, slowly, what we did is we migrated one piece at a time from uh, monolith legacy application. And then we did a lot of data synchronization. Uh, during this trans transformation, people had to log into multiple systems to get their the user journey finished. But eventually, after a couple of years, they, it's all moved to the cloud. Uh, we got a lot of awards for doing it, and there's a fantastic user experience, and you know there were a lot of kudos and everything. It was very well, uh, uh, you know, uh, recognized initiative. So right. then what what we did is took that and replicated multiple times. So uh, because we have a path for success, and how do we best customize it for future needs? Yeah. So what I'm curious to know about. It's a one billion dollar project uh, that's on legacy, and it's a critical piece. Why did you guys decide that you need to move that one? What, I'm, I'm I'm assuming that you wanted to take on a challenge of looking at the most complex problem first, and if we could do it, then it can be replicated more easily other places. Was that the thought process? That's a great question. I, even though I said uh, that is the project I'm more excited about, but that is not where we started, right? Uh, so we started. Uh, with uh, internal applications first, okay. and uh, we uh, we did the pilots and uh, uh, proof of concepts like I was talking about, and then we uh, ventured into this one. But uh, even when we ventured into uh, this particular mega project, quote unquote, uh, we started with again doing a pilot and we're doing a POC and make sure it fits our needs. What are the okay. different frameworks we need to use? What are the tool sets we need to use? and then uh, uh, expand in an agile way, right? You know, you don't want to do a big bang. You do one, uh, you create a roadmap, you do release one, release two, release three kind of a thing and uh, continuous delivery. Yeah, and this is an interesting point of view uh, that you're bringing that, you know, you are in a position where you also 
not just have to drive strategy, but you also have to ensure that somebody has the knowledge to move these. Uh, and when the cloud really came about at that time, you don't have engineers sitting there who have yeah. certification. Uh, nobody is AWS certified or Google. Even I don't think a certification existed at that time. I mean, I'll have to go and check. But you are actually actively learning and applying. So you have this trial and error, and then you have That's the right. asking for how's the project moving. <laughs> and uh, so how did you tackle all of that being in that position? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a fantastic question, right? Uh, it is not as simple as, you know, co uh, copy-paste, right? Yeah. Uh, and most of the uh, transformations we need to look through into three lens, like people, yeah. process, technology, like you are briefly mentioning. Uh, people aspect of it is there is a lot of change management. Uh, it is change management inside IT or digital and also change management outside digital and, uh, you know, in, in, to some extent, to the customers too, right? right. Uh, so that that is the first aspect. You need to upskill the folks you have, and also you need to have right level of engagement with uh, some of SI partners to right. bring right level of uh, talent to augment what is happening, right? And then the process side, it is not like you just take a old wine and pour it into a new bottle kind of a thing, right? Even though everybody likes old wine, that's a different analogy. Uh, uh, so I think you need to look into the processes and make it optimized or, you know, uh, there's a lot of transformation there. Either it is the processes goes into building the application and also the processes, business processes inside the application, like right. for example, you need to look into what is that the DevSecOps pipeline looks like, what is CACD looks like, you know, or is your deployment, uh, your deployment on-prem may be different than what you do in uh, cloud, for example. Right. Uh, or like you were talking about the talent on doing those foundational items, like how do you do logging, how do you do monitoring, and uh, uh, a, a system health checks, and unit testing, you know, performance testing, you, you touch any of it, it is right. different in a way when you build a cloud application compared to a legacy application, right? Yeah, so you yeah, need to yeah. build those muscles, you need to build that uh, uh, processes, and then you need to scale them up when you need to expand from one team to, I don't know, maybe 10 teams now. And then uh, how do you scale it and still maybe able to reuse them for a new application you're going to build uh, by other teams or so on? Yeah, yeah. Uh, what you just said here is uh, it's such a, I mean, for folks who are listening, uh, what Kishore you're explaining here is a true testament of what it really takes to move legacy applications to the cloud mm -hmm. and to re-architect the application. Like just the amount of things you just shared in the two minutes, each of them is a cycle of effort that requires yes. lots of brains, a lot of efforts, and it truly uh, kind of brings, you know, the effort that you have taken to put something out. You know, it's not like building a new application. Legacy migration is a big challenge, right? So when you were trying to do this, of course, we have compute is easier, right? You know, you need servers, okay, we have EC2 instance or, you know, uh, we mm -hmm. have instances available. You need network, okay, we have networking VPC available. What was the biggest challenge in terms of migration? Was it the data? Was it the compute layer? Was it just breaking the entire application into small microservices and having agile what did you feel like the, your team really did well and maybe you struggled with yeah i think i can i say all of the above 
<laughs> I mean, I really you take all of them. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, those are all challenges, but some are uh, smaller lines than other uh, little bit longer lines, right? Yeah. So, I I think the biggest challenge we faced is uh, taking this monolith and yeah, in the breaking into smaller consumable units, right? right. Because uh, now you need to take a vertical cut, not a horizontal cut. If you de- if you take a horizontal cut, then it it cannot be as much of transformational because you still have a lot of dependencies and everything like that. Um, and then our challenge is around when you do a vertical cut, how do you synchronize the data? So we went with uh, microservices, event-based architecture. We stood up, for example, Kafka's and you know all those things. So it replicates. Still, if one process is down, it is not bringing everything down with it. So you right. can still continue to do, you can have eventual consistency, and then the data is eventually flowing where it needs to be, and then users continue their, their processes. Um, right. and like For example, for this particular application we are talking about, if application is down, the trucks are rolling with seed. So you're losing the revenue right there in before your eyes. So right. you need to have a way of collecting that information and still able to synchronize eventually. So right. uh, some of the challenges like that, I think, uh, uh, were, uh, you know, we solved it, but it took a little bit of a trial and error. Another one, which is obvious for most of the listeners is uh, change management, either right. inside change management and also uh, quote unquote business change management, right? Mm-hmm. There are certain ways they're able to do it and want to do it. And they were doing it for years. And now uh, the dropdown is where that is supposed to be and the dropdown or a checkbox doesn't do what used to do for tens of years, if not, right. you know, years together. Uh, so doing that change management, now uh, working with them, they need to log into two different systems to complete their journey, you know, those kind of things. Those were challenging. Right. Uh, but at the end of it, it is very rewarding, right? You can look back and see, man, you know, we accomplished something. It is a lot better than what we started with. I mean, it's so great to know that, you know, I know, um, you know, just when you were seeing uh, or sharing, I was just thinking this problem is so interesting to solve and not many people uh, go in hard on to like go and say, okay, we, this is an aggressive project. It will take time because everybody wants to solve uh, the scale problem tomorrow. Okay. They want solution, but there is so much that goes into breaking a monolithic application and breaking it into a microservice that again needs to scale. I mean, you have topics that you're writing into, but that topic has to be, uh, you know, scaled in a way and replicated in a way that you will never lose that data in an event yeah. architecture. So you have to consider all those things. So you spoke like a true veteran who has handled and solved <laughs> these problems multiple times. So, uh, yeah. I, I appreciate that. You know, uh, David, another thing we are actually working on, uh, moving one of the cloud application, uh, one of the monolith or legacy application to cloud. We were part of that workshops uh, last week and before kind of a thing, right? So uh, it, it, it is, uh, I was uh, talking to one of the person uh, who was part of uh, doing the initial implementation of that particular application, right? Uh, it, and again, it brings uh, millions of uh, dollars of revenue, that particular application. And uh, it, and he said, I thought it's fascinating, right? He said, hey, you know, when we rolled out this application for the first time, we introduced mouse along with that application for the first time. 
so uh, it, and again it, wow. it works uh, it the prototype application works uh, so it, it, it but it is not scalable it is brittle and uh, the talent is not there to make updates or you know business changes it is difficult uh, yeah. so th- those are some of the reasons why we want to do it but that being said it, it, it is decades of knowledge and decades of customization yeah. you need to take and uh, take a fresh look at it and uh, it takes years to re- redo this yeah yeah what you know that reminds me of an episode uh, or not an episode but a conversation i had when i was working at a company uh, when the company was finally changing offices okay uh, this the company had been in an office location for almost 20 years and then they were moving to a new office a new floor much more modern setup and then, then when they were moving, they realized that under a desk, there was an AS400 kept, which is like an old <laughs> AS400. It was still running. Nobody knew what it did. Okay. And they were like so concerned about unplugging that because they did not know what was running on that. And we knew that it hadn't been touched for a while because whoever sat there was saying, well, it's been around for at least so many years, you know. So, so you're talking about uh, technology that's, working for such a long time and people are really wary of like, hey, do we really need to change it? Of course we need to, but... Just yeah, we're I'm about. sure you have seen in some of those uh, desktops and servers there are stickers, do not turn off. Yes, <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it, and people who put those stickers, they, I think they moved on and uh, there are certain uh, applications people do not know what it does and how it does. So you, you need to reverse engineer those things to redo them. Well, some of those challenges. That's that's how I feel sometimes when I'm talking to people who are who have been working on mainframe. You know, <laughs> like it's like such a uh, it's a great technology, but once you're on it, it's just so difficult for you to kind of think in another way, and the effort is like wild. You know, but uh, mm-hmm. so going back to what you were just sh- sharing is now at Emiran or Ameren, your current role also entails these kind of efforts where you're trying to move legacy applications into a more modern paradigm and more modern architecture, and then these challenges still still remain. Yeah, that is right, you know, uh, because we need to work very closely on various things, right? Like we talked about, do we have right talent? We cannot take on multiple uh, transformations at the same time. We need to make sure there is the right level of uh, organizational throughput and uh, right level of subject matter experts and funding. And uh, you can't throw too much change in the organization and still able to uh, do a good job at it, right? So there are multiple factors. My team works closely with the various business and digital leaders to understand how do we lay it out. That is what we call it as ILTP, integrated long-term planning, and we create roadmaps and make sure, hey, you know, we have ability to do this, then it needs to stagger, these five things needs to go together, this needs to happen before we get to, uh, you know, uh, touch on this one, you know, those kind of yeah. things. And and that's how I think that kind of team is, well, for folks listening, is so important for you to have that kind of a team in an organization because that then drives or connects business to the actual stories that are going to go into a release, right? And there is an alignment. And if there is no communication, that can effect and cause disaster that directly affects your revenue right so that's right well well said i wanted to ask about um you know how do you look at cloud strategy right at amarin uh, i know you're moving towards or our own cloud as well as but um you know w- what is important at amarin now with uh the cloud strategies that you have do you get involved in conversations 
on what kind of solution to pick? Do you think about multi-cloud, multi-region? How do you think about that? Yeah, um, so we have a cloud strategy and recently we worked on revamping the cloud strategy, you know, uh, changes the constant thing in IT, right? So right, right. Uh, like I was saying before, there are four things we critically look at. One is agility. Second one is, uh, you know, uh, how resilient and availability and cost effectiveness. So those are some of the pillars in uh, a cloud strategy. Uh, we, we are making good progress. We, we have a strong team which uh, implements uh, DevSecOps. We have a strong team which uh, works closely with Agile and make sure, you know, we can do these things in a way which is uh, scalable as well as sustainable. Right. Um, and right now we are actively looking into what we call it as cloud hosting rationalization initiative. So right. as the name suggests, we have quite a bit of applications. We, we have hundreds of applications in our data center. And what we are doing is we are cataloging all of those applications and trying to understand what segment they fit in, right? Are they ready to transform into cloud application or they need to stay back or for various reasons, including some regulatory uh, concerns or we need to retire. And this is the time view, right? To transform, invest, eliminate, and uh, those kind of a view we look into and we try to put them into different segments. Hey, this exactly. uh, then we need to prioritize this, this is a critical application, so we, maybe we need to prioritize based on the availability of resources as well as funding and so on. And this is not as important application, probably we can just lift it and shift it, right? You know, uh, with, with a view of, hey, we are going to eliminate it in five years, right? So right. we're we taking different uh, uh, aspects, like we call it a decision tree, and then yeah. we are putting them into various segments and then we convert them into roadmaps. Now we take those applications and uh, put it, put a business case and put a roadmap around it. Then okay. what is our two-year window looks like, four-year window, five-year window looks like. So we have a view into how much of investment we need and you know what is that uh, effort going to look like and so on. Got it. Yeah, and that that also helps you with the planning of what absolutely you know talent you need, what kind of technology you're going to go dive into. Uh, so do you, do you have like innovation uh, teams that are focused on research early on to before you fully fledge out and plan what that looks like? Do you do that as well? So basically the way we, uh, we, we're trying to do this one is we have something called uh, pre-work or pre-implementation, we say it. So we say, hey, you know, for example, this particular application we need to transform. So yeah. we, we put a roadmap before we call it pre-implementation, which includes right. understanding about different uh, opportunities or different uh, ways of doing it, doing like a POCs or pilots, working with uh, various SI providers, putting SOWs, vendor yeah. discussions. Those are all we call it as a pre-work. Depends on size of, size of the effort. It right. may run for months or maybe a year, all right? Yeah. There is limited value in jumping on it without knowing all the details. Like, for example, I was talking about uh, um, that application. We do not know how the current system works. So right. we probably need to do some documentation, understanding current processes. And then we need to do some user journeys. We need to do some mappings around what is the future may look like, right? So those are all the pre-works you need to do. Uh, probably you don't have to do at the individual story level, but at least you need to do it at the epic level. You need to understand 
and then it gives you a good view of hey this is my roadmap looks like then how am i going to chunk it into various continuous delivery and uh, that is what we call it pre implementation um, and again do uh, all applications do they need it i don't know right depends on the size and criticality of it we need to carve out some uh, dedicated deliberate effort before we jump on it got it yeah and i know you kind of mentioned this uh, but i wanted to dive into this a little bit more for folks who are listening to kind of learn a little bit so mm-hmm. what what drives the kind of technology you choose for the transformation right i know you mentioned scale but is it driven by hey the company is growing we need to add more utility uh, so users there's more data required the now the experience that is required by these users is different they want to see real time hey how much mm-hmm. electricity am i using where can i save money so what is driving the requirement for the technology that you're choosing yeah yeah that, that is fantastic right uh, like i was saying before we don't want to uh implement or bring in technology just for the sake of it so it needs to tie with some business justification or return on investment or some aspects of it right so we definitely need to do that uh, going back to your question on what kind of technology we bring like uh, depends on the type of problem we are trying to solve um so like for example a, a, there is something called outage right when a big storm goes through your territory or you know something uh, uh, something of that sort happens you need to make sure the systems can sustain large volume of data coming in now right. we have so many uh, transformers and meters pumping data or so many pe- uh, people are calling and you know there are outage notifications you need to send so yeah. you need to have ability for that particular application or integration because i also lead integration so yeah. now all that integration is a lot more chatty right because yeah, yeah. Uh, you need to uh, so much of data yeah, coming in yeah yeah. yeah yeah so you need to have ability to quickly scale up and uh, we, that is one critical component and second component is uh, when for whatever reason they fail they need to come back very quickly that is the resiliency aspect of it right, right, right and right. Uh, now you have the uh, uh, power is down and also your application is down it's not a good scenario so yeah. you need to make sure uh, uh, you, you know the outage notification is also down it is not a good experience for our customers uh, so you, you need to have fault tolerant very resilient uh, so we are working towards that act to act to act to passive kind of a resiliency strategies and uh, having a good monitoring alerting we're constantly improving continuous improvement on that one uh, how do we make things better right we are learning from certain past mistakes and make it better we don't repeat the same thing again yeah i mean i think and also learning from mistakes is just so critical to or it's just a part of building a better solution is what i feel uh, yeah is an active, active active that's the world i live in you know i want everything active active all the time i don't want to think about disaster recovery like when we you know cockroach db right is one of those solutions where we i always felt like why do i need a dependency in my architecture or in my design it should mm-hmm. be a peerless infrastructure it should be i can write, write and read all the time i don't need to just scale reads i want to scale everything right and and that's where i feel like these architectures and these kind of design patterns kind of make sense and when you were saying that active active uh, you know 
are you considering or do you uh, are building your applications with uh, you know kubernetes infrastructure where self healing auto healing capabilities have to built into the infrastructure and application transformations yeah there definitely and also we have uh, hosted in aws and other clouds and we also have some saas products like you know we use salesforce we use oracle we use other maximo and other uh, some of them are on prem most of them are uh, hosted in cloud right right and they in turn they bring some of those resiliency out of the box right, right. and uh, all the custom solutions we have like you just said we they run in a container with uh, right level of uh, resiliency built into it like for example we use mulesoft for integration Okay. and uh, they have cloud solution which has resiliency built into it and we also use quite a few apis on prem so we are yeah. building active active for that so we have two data centers and for whatever reason api is down or one particular segment is down it automatically routes to the other active active region so users do not even know something of this right. kind happens Right. Um, so it is not just uh, to that level, right? Now we need to look into underlying database, right? It needs to be active, active in some shape or form. And if you are using message queues, if you are using file systems, you know everything needs to have that kind of a posture. So yeah. the uh, the user process is uh, you know able to uh, sustain these kind of, of fault tolerance and uh, having that high level of resiliency end to end. Right, right, yeah. Of all the technologies you said, honestly, Oracle is the only one that I don't like. <laughs> <laughs> part of the reason is, part of the reason is, and nothing because I'm working at Cockroach DB. Nothing to do with that. It's just that my personal experience with like new modern paradigms and new architectures that I'm building, I have to go in. I mean, I hate Golden Gate and designing replication that way. Uh, and I used to work at another company that had a peerless architecture, so. Uh, I don't want to think about failover at all or blue green deployments, right? And uh, mm -hmm. so uh, that's why I I started using uh, I use actively uh, you know technologies not just on a database level or I try to build it in a way that we have a peerless architecture and it's done in a way that I don't even think about disaster recovery or rather only thing I think about is making sure I replicate the data to maybe another region and keep it there just in case my region is not available. Like mm -hmm. that's the max. But I don't want to get involved in uh, like Golden Gate and things like that. So except for Oracle, I I love everything else that you said. <laughs> that that makes sense, right? You know, if you keep that problem outside and it is solved already, so you don't have to solve it again, right? You know, why reinvent the wheel if it is given to you already, right? Exactly. So also also Oracle is just so expensive. It's just yeah, yeah I I hear you. <laughs> That's all. You know, maybe we need to have a different conversation after this call, but. Uh, but I think what you said, uh, I mean, there is so many amazing insights that you shared about just the design pattern itself that you have to consider when you're thinking about scale, right? Uh, and it's great to know that, uh, you know, uh, even utility companies and not, I mean, we talk about amazing stuff that Uber is doing, amazing stuff mm -hmm. that Twitter is doing, or say, of you know, DoorDash, all these modern new companies. But we have to realize that these patterns and these transformations are happening within companies who are Fortune 500 like Ameren uh, that have been historically known for building, you know, monolithic applications and things like that. So I'm really glad that somebody like you is sharing that perspective with, you know, the listeners here. That's great to know. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the user expectations are 
gradually going up, right? You know, like you just pointed out, either it is Amazon of the world, or, you know, now it is X, not a Twitter, I guess. So X of the world. And uh, <laughs> are you Ubers of the world? So when uh, users like you and me, when we are using those services, when then we go to a power company and use their website, your expectations are the same. So whether so, we need to meet those, and we if not exceed. So we we are doing all these transformations. We are doing uh, doubling down on these technologies where where they're applicable. And uh, you know, Amron is in top quartile when it comes to customer satisfaction. So we do that every year, and we got awards from uh, TDA. Uh, uh, you know, the customer satisfaction. We are in uh, top quartile, and that, that is very, uh, you know what they say is re-enforcing uh, and that we are going in the right path and we are, uh, you know, providing it to our customers what they're looking for. Right, right. And you were talking about this whole idea of, like, you know, looking at resiliency, of course, is important to you, right? But at the same time, how do you look at uh, the whole build versus buy, right? You know, I mean, there is a mm-hmm. lot of things that you can, I mean, and you're in a position where you have to uh, at least highlight talk or make decisions around, hey, this is something we need to buy. Uh, you know, why do we build and put engineering effort into yeah. something versus when something already exists, right? So how do you get into, give me an example of that as well as how do you think about those problems, yeah. Sure, uh, it's see, the, uh, our, we have our decision tree, our mantra, right? You know, the way we try to do it is the emphasis is to go to cloud and if there is an exception, that's fine. But uh, the default, quote unquote, is you know why not cloud, right? You know, yeah, that is yeah. the first one. And also why uh, why we need to custom build when we can buy it. And utilities, well, there are quite a few utilities in states and maybe hundreds of utilities if you ca- add all the st- uh, countries in the world. So it, in many ways, the problem is already solved, right? Uh, so we go that route of, hey, can we just bring a solution which is like a SaaS solution? That is the route we try to take. Right, right. In some niche areas where we probably need to do custom build, right? Right. Um, and uh, going back to your question on, hey, you know, uh, it, we, example of it, right? For a, a, We recently implemented uh, ERP. I, I think that is a good example where I don't know how much value it is for you to custom build a ERP. And the same, uh, we have a lot of uh, Maximo is one of the examples, right, where we have a lot of de- uh, utilities use it. And I think some non-utilities use it as well. So limited value building that kind of a functionality and custom build. So wherever it makes sense, bring a best possible uh, uh, industry-leading solution and uh, try to make it as a cloud-hosted sales solution if possible. And uh, so that's where we get into a lot of challenges around integration. We need to now have a robust plumbing to connect all the data coming in from various clouds and SaaS solutions and also on-prem solutions. And how do you make all of this work and do not make it as a single point of failure? Right. Uh, Imagine your plumbing gets choked now you have everything else working, but no water flowing, right? So, uh, so that is something very critical for us, and uh, we we double down on making sure we have right level of uh, emphasis on integration. So, um, I wanted to ask you when you were saying that is that you have all of these uh, things that you have to do transformation. How do you uh, like vet out which technology makes sense uh, for mm-hmm. this? Like, 
there has to be a vetting process right as to do you do you have you built that into your engineering practice or your architectural process principal process that you have built if we we have uh, quite a few patterns established and we have standards established uh, we have a process we call it uh, technology work assessment so right. uh, twa so we any new any new application or any new product when it comes through it has to go through that process we right. add bunch of requirements they're not always just architectural requirements we give architectural requirements data requirements uh, resiliency requirements as well as cyber requirements we provide those and then we weigh them based on that it has to fit those particular requirements and also we add in patterns hey you need to have single sign on for example right right uh, so it, it, it is weighed based on those criteria and then we try our best effort to meet all the requirements in some cases you need to throw in an exception right for for certain reasons like you know there is a regulatory reason or a time bound reason you need to get something done you come back and adjust it later so right uh, there is a there is a vetting process before we uh, uh, bring some SOWs or something like that or a procure a tool or a technology we go through that uh, vetting process and it is effective so far yeah and and the whole and the idea is that the process should enable innovation but rather than slow it down it's something that's that right you're also thinking about okay I, I agree, and uh, uh, that is why going back to our previous conversation a little bit, you know, we need to provide good guardrails. That way, people know, hey, you know, this. I understand. I just don't jump off and uh, add no authentication and create a huge cyber risk, or uh, I expose all my data. But if you provide that kind of a guardrail, I think you know it gives a lot of liberty for folks to innovate. Um, and that being said, you need to. constantly checking it just if your guardrails are in a well placed location or not or you need to move them around and make sure it aligns with uh, what's happening in the ground right oh that's brilliant yeah i wanted to ask where does kishore go for uh, keeping himself updated with all the technology wildness that's going on i mean he's he's why i'm asking that question 15 years ago you had like uh-huh. 100 softwares that you needed to pick and you need to aware about okay and you would hear about it in conversations and now uh, we have 10000 solutions almost software is like <laughs> every cloud company has uh, the same or similar solutions on you know their platform then there are third party saas products uh, you know who are also solving this and then there are all those other people who are innovating in the open source space so how do you kishore like keep up with all of that and, and you're in a, in a position where you have to be like If somebody says something you're like at least i should know about it you know what do you do <laughs> yeah uh, to be honest with you i i, I there are a lot of key buzzwords i still need to be a little bit reactive <laughs> right i need to go and uh, find out what they mean because you know that little bit contextual also right you know um so i i agree it's a constant learning um yeah. I, i think you know one of the areas i go into is uh, gartner uh so i we go there for research and try to understand what is the ma- uh, quadrant they are in and then on some other we try to do some little bit of research there before we right. feel comfortable and it needs to be we set up some analyst calls and try to understand what is the industry trends and uh, there are some in- industry consortiums for example epri epri is an industry consortium we have some forums there we go there and understand hey if any similar utility has done something like this 
or what are the industry trends happening, you know, right. um, and some SIs, so, uh, like, you know, Accenture's of the world, Deloitte's of the world, they also bring their perspective of what's happening in the industry, all other implementations they're doing. Um, and uh, last but not least, I started using uh, ChatGPT and Bard, Google Bard. And, uh, you know, they give a good perspective too. We, you know, obviously you need to take it with a grain of salt, but uh, yeah. uh, that is a uh, that is an interesting new space to go as well. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I think uh, one of the biggest things that when you just said it suddenly hit my mind is that uh, I was talking to somebody else about it as well. It's like we, there are so many papers that are getting released, right? research papers. And sometimes you feel like I don't have time to read 30 paper or research paper to get, get that knowledge. Now you can pull that into... Uh, chat GPT or uh, or Wired and it condenses it down and you have enough information there for you to have an executive conversation with somebody or uh, have a conversation with your architect around hey why don't we look at this as an idea of implementing yeah. something right uh, so I feel yeah, yeah. like uh, it's very helpful you know I'm doing that myself you know uh, and I and I, I feel I'm glad to know that people in your position are also feeling that's uh, something valuable for you to try so that's good yeah, yeah, I think so. You know, that's why it got uh, 100 million users in two days or something. That's what they said, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it definitely has value on how to use it, but you need to double check and validate. I think uh, that is where it is right now. Yeah, and and one of the ways I really do it is uh, I will ask the same prompt on ChatGPT. I will ask it on 3.54 as well as on Bard. And the difference really <laughs> is the output, you know, the output from intelligence or the way it makes me feel, GPT-4 does a great job, but uh, it doesn't have internet data unless, because they had the browser plugin available and they, they took it out because of an issue. But Bard gives me more realistic timeline. And so I agree with you, like validation is the biggest uh, factor when it comes to AI, LLMs. Yeah, meaning they're still maturing, right? We need to give them a little bit of a slack. They're working on it, I assume. Yeah, yeah, I'm assuming, you know, because I'm paying $20 just for that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is for the ChatGPT4, isn't it? ChatGPT4, uh, yeah. And I use uh, a few plugins as well. Like I use the PDF plugin. Um, I also personally use the Instacart plugin, which is which I feel is a great use case where uh, we make our meal plans on Instacart. So what we do okay. is we ask to produce a meal plan for us. And then I bring the Instacart plugin. It creates all the ingredients I need for the week, and then mm -hmm. you just order it directly from TomTom or uh, an Aldi. No, that's that's awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. Pretty practical use case. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you one more practical use case which I recently did. Uh, we yeah. went to Iceland for vacation. Yeah. And then I went to one of these region AIs and uh, said, "Hey, create itinerary for me," and yeah. it did for multiple days. And I, I tweaked it a little bit here and there, and it worked. You know, I just used that itinerary. Exactly. I mean, it's, I mean, the way I see these is like it's enabling us to save time and to refocus that time towards something that might need more attention, you know. And, mm -hmm. for, and somebody like me, and I feel like you, who wants to save time and make the time more valuable, I think definitely is a place to, uh, you know, invest in. You know that. Oh, I agree. Agree. I think we we all become like a, uh, a region AI uh, experts very soon. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think we will be. Uh, well, uh, I, I know we are getting towards the end of our you know uh, podcast. And I mean, first of all, some of the things you shared is 
perspectively so important for folks to consider when they are moving from legacy and re-architecting everything for a modern uh, you know architecture or an you know agile thought process or microservice and things like that uh, for companies who are uh, you know or folks who are trying to build infrastructure like this or looking to move in this direction what is your advice to them uh, and what 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 would be your i know you've already mentioned a few things but what do you want to say that this is what you have to stick to to kind of make sure that you don't make those mistakes that probably you have made in the process oh yeah you know everybody has cars in the back right uh, for sure i think uh, uh, in it is not just a technology problem i think that is what i i, I probably emphasize again it is a people process technology you need to look through all three lenses i think uh, making an assumption that technology only can solve everything is probably a pitfall right you need to make sure like we talked about you have do you have right level of skills uh, from the people perspective and how do you uh, 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 upskill them or you need to bring go to somewhere and get uh, augment right skill set you know do we have right level of subject matter experts in technology and also in the business process and do we have a product mindset if that's what you're looking for and uh, are you able to take that big piece of uh, delivery and can you chunk it into smaller pieces and show success show delivery continuous progress and value are you able to realize that value as soon as possible so i think you need to look through all three lenses i think i think technology in many ways is easier problem to solve in a, in a corporation than uh, people and process perspective yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's what i would recommend and encourage people to take a look uh, when you're embarking into this and take one step at a time you don't have to uh, do the whole thing uh, like a big bang approach it is not usually the best way to do it kishore that was great advice for folks listening in uh, you know kishore's uh, you know as active on linkedin i think that's one of the places where people can follow you is there any other place that you recommend people can connect with you or like learn from you in terms of you know material that you post or repost um well linkedin is the best way and uh, happy to collaborate with uh, folks and uh, l- learn from them as well as i can provide my thoughts as well uh, happy to do that kishore thank you so much for so being so candid and for all the amazing uh, you know ideas that you shared on the big ideas in app architecture podcast it has been a pleasure to have you here and again i appreciate it thank you david you know i can't thank you enough for uh, hosting me and uh, thank you for this opportunity thank you and uh, good luck with it